0: Welcome to Episode 3 of The Spaces Between Us. In today's episode, we host educator and entrepreneur Matthew Ong, who recently started a business with his father after teaching for 15 years in Singapore. He shares about what it's been like being a student, a teacher, and a business founder bringing us from 90s Singapore to current times where innovation in learning is bringing collaboration and care to the foreground. So make yourself comfortable and get ready to armchair travel with us. And oh, stormy weather ahead, you might hear some thunder. So Matt, welcome to our podcast. We are so glad to have you with us today um, on this podcast conversation, we have myself, Jasmine. We have Shu. Yes, I'm here. And we have Matt Ong from Singapore. Hi. So Matt, can you please introduce yourself? Can you tell us more about who you are and what it is that you do?
1: Sure. Um, So thanks so much, Jasmine and Shu. I'm Matt, and I've been an educator for more than 15 years in Singapore. And I'm also the co-founder of The Learning Playground, which I just started with my dad.
0: Before you started this business with your dad, um, you were an educator, you were a teacher for some time. Can you tell Mm -hmm. us a bit more about that experience of being a teacher?
1: Wow, okay. So I think the journey would have started about 20 years ago when I entered the National Institute of Education in Singapore. And it was a really uh, fun experience because I had tutors and lecturers who gave me a lot of freedom to explore different ways of teaching and learning. Um, they allowed me to take certain risks with the lessons that I had designed. Um, not all of them were successful, of course, and, uh, I think I was really blessed to be able to have that space to experiment and uh, for them to be supportive. And so that was the, the preparation phase when I was, um, you know, in NIE to learn how to be a, a teacher, learn about the curriculum, the pedagogy, and the different assessments and the system. So, so that whole experience was about four years. And then I started teaching in a primary school. It was a mission school. And back in, in those days, we had two sessions. So there was a morning session and there was an afternoon session. And so if you were in the morning session, you were in school um, by like seven. And right now, all of the schools, uh, primary schools, uh, have all shifted over to a single session. So across the across the nation, we have schools uh, starting at about 7:10. Our teachers are in school at about 7:10. And they would be in school until about 1:30. After which, if you are in the upper primary block, you might have a remedial classes or supplementary classes or co-curricular activities. So a day might possibly end at about 3.30 or so, after which you start marking and preparing for the next day or calling parents to update them on what's been happening during the day. Yeah, so that's usually how the the day looks like for an average uh, primary school teacher.
0: What's going on with learning these days in Singapore, um, especially with COVID happening? Are students learning remotely? Is it sort of um, a hybrid situation? Can you just tell us more about what's what's going on right now?
1: Sure. So I think educational technology has been um, pretty well explored in the, in the past couple of, of um, maybe decades even. But I think in the recent times, uh, it has really come to the to the foreground because of the the need uh, for it to uh, to exist and the children not being in school um, and them not learning and uh it's a real concern so of course remote learning would be something that is is a uh, pretty big at this point of time but as much as possible uh we do try to bring the students to to school when whenever it's safe to do so but there have been some periods of time when it was not and they needed to be at home. So we have a space called the Student Learning Space and um, that's that's kind of a platform that many many teachers use in the the class. Um, They also explore different tools. Uh, There's a whole variety of tools that that teachers use to engage the students. So so of course, I think this current situation has really made everyone uh, a lot more innovative and I think the wonderful thing about this particular situation that we're in is that you really see a lot more collaboration because preparing an um, online lesson, I think is a lot more challenging um, for, for many folks because of the, the, the nature of the, the space. It's just so different. Uh, it's something that, you know, for many teachers, if they've been teaching for like 10, 15 or 20 years, uh, suddenly teaching online, or for an extended period of time is something that is really not easy. Uh, and it takes a really long time to prepare uh, lessons as well. So you see a lot of teachers getting together, sharing lessons, sharing ideas. Uh, and it really, really helps. I think when when the teachers are able to come together to to think about ways that they can help each other out, I think the sense of camaraderie is, is um really shining through and you see it a lot, a lot more, you know, when when the challenge is, is this big.
0: That's really nice to hear that there's a lot of collaboration that's going on between the teachers and I suspect, like with students as well and with families.
1: Yeah, um, particularly important, I think, would be uh, not just teacher teacher collaboration, but teacher parent collaboration as well. Because I think, um, you know, with the students learning at home, um, suddenly that space which the students would have previously considered home where they, they can kind of put their books aside, they can watch TV, they can play their different games or they can uh, uh, play games with their parents. And suddenly that space is now being invaded by, by um, workbooks and worksheets and stuff like that. So there is a lot of adjustments from students and parents' part. And I think it's really important that schools, and I think that we're doing a pretty good job as well of engaging parents. Uh, making sure that they are constantly updated, that communication channels are constantly open as well, so that you know if there are any things that um, parents felt that the children needed more help with, or, or if students or if the teachers felt that they needed parents' uh, assistance with, that those communication lines were open, so that everyone would kind of band together for for the child's benefit.
0: Can you recount a particular teaching or learning moment that you will never forget?
1: Wow, okay. There, there are quite a number, but if there if I was if I really had to pick one, um it would be about a time when I first started teaching and we were asked to think about project work. So project work was a really fun space in the um, timetable where we could think about interdisciplinary uh, projects, ideas, to try and explore that space where the students would think about different subjects and solve a certain problem. And I was really uh, passionate about the idea of social responsibility. And I wanted to think about how students, even though they were in primary school, so these were maybe eight to 12-year-olds, I wanted to think about how we could bring experiential learning and caring uh, to the foreground. So I randomly asked my class uh, if they would join me in visiting an old folks home, and uh, uh, I wasn't expecting too many of them to raise their hands. But uh, four of them uh, actually went back home, asked their parents that whether they could join me on this visit, and and they said, and they said, yeah, sure. And so the four of us without any curriculum to guide us or any particular learning objective. Uh, it was just four of us and myself thinking about how can we make a difference? You know, How can we uh, put to practice and apply some of the things that we have learned in school? Uh, so along the way, the, the children thought that, hey, you know, if we're going to be visiting the old folks home, then rather than just bringing uh, some goodies along, what might happen if we try to organize a mini concert? So one of them took the lead and he said, I can play the recorder, which is um, a little instrument that they learn during music class. And another one of them said that, hey, you know, I could use, uh, I could make hearts for the, for the folks there. And so uh, he, he put into practice some of the things that he had learned during his art class. Uh, and the trip down was really an eye-opener, not just for the children, but really for me as well. Uh, it showed me the importance of uh, uh, experiential learning, um, really just being there. Um, being in the midst of uh, the people whom you want to learn about, whom you want to uh, contribute and you want to to care for, and are caring as learning as well. Uh, so the next year, we, we shared that experience with the, um, the Character and Citizenship Department and we thought it would be a great experience for the entire level. So they all had different projects involving a social concern. And uh, it was was great fun. It it, it really, um, yeah. I, I really had a lot of fun uh, with that small project to begin with, and then of course when it became much larger as a whole level, um, it it was great fun. Yeah.
2: I have some some questions. I I wanted um, Jasmine, you to also chime in. Uh, I know that you went to Singapore. Um, uh, you grew up in Singapore and studied as a student. And, um, um, you know, we talked a little bit about it, about your experience, um, the rote learning aspect of it. Um, So it's, you know, reflecting upon Matt's experience, uh, here you have an amazing innovator who who is able to improvise and who is able to come up with new ideas and uh, and bring bring them to to the students and bring the students out into society and then and here you know I also heard about your experience being how difficult it is like the standardized testing so you know it's very difficult for my mind to hold both spaces uh, I know that there is kind of a difference in 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 the time that you went there so help me to kind of understand like how how do you have innovation in Singapore and and then this really tough uh handed environment of um of teaching and
0: learning Matt, do you want to go first, or do you want me to say something <laughs> first?
1: <laughs> sure, I, I can I can uh, share some some brief thoughts about that. So so the, I think the system as a whole, there is sufficient space for both of them to coexist together, and it really depends on the culture of the school, the school leadership, and also the individual teachers. There is quite a bit of leeway in terms of, um, what the teachers want to innovate and the different ideas that you know, they can bring forward. I do think that there would be quite a number of school leaders who are very open. I've been really fortunate and, and very blessed to have um, really forward-looking principals uh, who were very receptive to the ideas and who are also very willing to give me that space to, to fail. So I remember sharing, them, sharing with them certain ideas uh, and they would say, you know, this might be a little bit risky, but you can go ahead and try it out you know, if you want. I recall there was a, a talk that I attended when there were some educators who had come in from the UK, and and this particular educator had shared uh, his way of uh, coping with the marking load, because I think for educators all over the world, marking and assessment was one of the the most time consuming uh, part of the part of the work because of the the feedback that you would need to provide both in terms of quantitative and the qualitative feedback. And so he shared that when he was marking his students' essays, uh, he would randomly pick like 10% right, of the entire pile. And then he would provide very detailed notes uh, for the 10%. So if he had like um, uh, 40 in his class, um, then he might, he might just pick like maybe four or, or six of the essays. And he would mark these essays, essays in great detail. And he would provide them with very, very comprehensive feedback And then he would share the feedback with the entire class. And then he would take them through the whole process of his assessment and get them to think about how they would mark their own work, how their peers might mark each other's work. And um, for someone who who marks, you know, like 40 essays uh, every other week, I thought, wow, that is such a fabulous idea, right? So I went to my principal and said, hey, you know, I heard of this uh, particular... Uh, method of marking. And I I think that it might be really interesting things to to share with the rest of the teachers and to try it out. And and he said, okay, we we need to be a little bit careful. Um, Not every class might be as receptive. Not every student might be as ready um, to to self-assess or to assess their their peers' work because there needs to be quite a bit of groundwork that needs to be done uh, before uh, such feedback takes place. Uh, so he said, maybe you, you could start small, right? So so I tried it out, um, I think, once with, with my class. Uh, and, and I realized that it was pretty challenging because, you know, um, both students and parents, they do want to hear what uh, the teacher has to say about their work, um, as opposed to a 10-year-old marking his own work and be getting feedback uh, from his other 10-year-old friend. Not that there isn't space for that, but... Um, I do think that there needs to be sufficient groundwork and sufficient uh, thought about the readiness level of the students, of the of parents, and of course, for individual educators. So there's a lot of space for educators to, to innovate the curriculum, to think about new methods of uh, teaching and learning. Um, of course, at the end of, at the end of uh, six years in Singapore, you have got a national exam, uh, and that is is something that many many parents uh, and students and teachers uh, have to think about because it's it's very real. Um, it does affect you know which school you go on to, um, and so of course you can't throw that out of the window entirely. And it and it does uh, play a big role in in how uh, students, parents, and and teachers think about teaching and learning. But I also do think that there is sufficient space for. For this innovation, uh, and also uh, different ways of of teaching and learning, I think that there is there is enough room for everything to kind of coexist, and it would kind of really boil down to the individual to pick out the pieces which are most relevant and to chart your own your own course, yeah, and find your own way forward.
0: I I will have a follow up question to that in a bit, but I wanted to share a little bit about what my experience was like in the nineties going to primary school in Singapore. So all I remember was just doing a lot of assessment books, um, doing a lot of mock exam papers and test papers. I did not, I don't remember um, doing anything else except that and maybe swim lessons and piano lessons and everything was competitive. You, it wasn't just swimming for leisure. It wasn't, it wasn't just playing piano for joy. Everything had to be done at the highest possible level. So it was extremely stressful. And my mother was extremely stressed. She, she felt that in order for me to have a successful future, I needed to be producing not just A's but A stars which is above 90 marks in Singapore. If I got below an A star, she would really just panic and then there would be more assessment books. So that's sort of where a lot of my rote learning came from. It To be fair, it didn't come from the classroom but it came from my mother's stress. It was the only way she knew how to get me to produce results and it, it it no i don't think anyone was happy i think everyone was just equally miserable because it's it's hard right it's very hard to to force yourself to produce results as opposed as opposed to learning because you you you're just so curious about the knowledge you can you can gain so that was that was my experience growing up and i'm curious what what was your experience like? Because you talk about it from you've talked about it from the perspective of a teacher, and I want to know was it different when you were a student?
1: Oh yeah. Um, so when I was growing up, uh, also in the nineties, I was totally not stressed at all about <laughs> work <laughs> and school, <laughs> and I think that stressed out my parents quite a bit um, because they came from a place where they felt that education was really, really important. And it would decide uh, where you would be heading to next uh, in your life. Your scores in your primary school, you know, would affect where you end up in secondary and your scores in secondary school would affect, you know, which path you take, whether it would be a technical uh, route or a, a more academic one. And the end goal, they, they felt has got to be university and, you know, you have to find a, uh, a way to get there. But growing up in primary school, I recall that it really didn't register uh, for me, like um, playing in the playground with my friends, playing soccer uh, was the, the most important thing. Like my world revolved around the soccer ball when I was growing up <laughs> and nothing else really mattered. And, and that was pretty much the case until um, secondary school. And I think it was like really by, by grace, I think that I managed to clear uh, almost er- er- every year by the skin of my teeth um, to move on to the next level, to get promoted to the next stage. Um, but I think towards the end of my secondary school life, I, I realized that, wow, I really don't have a lot of learning skills i wasn't sure exactly how to analyze a text i wasn't sure how to respond to a particular question and and that started uh, me thinking about the the gaps in my in my own education and the things that i was lacking so so that has really influenced the way that i think about my own students and my own children's education it also affects the way that i design my my classes and i um, provide feedback to the to the children, um, but I think generally, when I was growing up, it was not stressful for a very long period of time, <laughs> until it became stressful.
0: <laughs> it's interesting that we we went through the same system, but. Obviously, everyone's personal circumstances are so different. Um, we had very different memories. I think um, of what it was like. I'm very pleased. I'm actually very <laughs> happy that that it wasn't stressful for you. I really, I really wish that people um, don't end up that stressed.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I also want to point out that. Um, all three of us here on the in this conversation uh, went through education systems that do nationwide exams at very similar points in life. So once at the end of primary school, once at the end of secondary school or middle school, and then one more time at the end of high school. And each examination determines, oh, your results in each examination determines which school you get promoted to next and the the end goal is college right so the high school examination would determine um where you go for college and Shu, I'm also very interested to hear what your experience was like yeah well I
2: for me like the really the school itself wasn't as as critical as the, as the teachers, the individual teachers that played a role in my life. And, um, and I, like Matt, speaking of which, like uh, I I was reading your book and uh, on the art of education, where you uh, amazingly applied uh, the the art of war into thinking about leadership, into thinking about teacher's role um, and, and care. And uh, I, I recall you had one where you talk about um, a student's two very different experiences of, of, of piano lessons and, uh, and how the first teacher was so focused on the, on the goal, on, on, you know, taking on having the students sit through the exam that completely ignored, like, the, the aspect of playing the piano. And... Uh, and I, I think for, for me that was wow. Like if it, it it's so much of what the teacher is thinking about as focus um, affected psychologically um, the, the 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 student and and eventually the the career trajectory that the student chose to chose to, t- to undertake. Um, and uh, and I think having that. Confidence versus, you know, decide, you know, shaming a student really, really affects the, the student and, uh, and sometimes maybe the teacher might be doing it in a, in a, con- in a conscientious way and, and other times might be like projecting uh, some of her own issues uh, onto the student. Um, so I felt like, despite of the learning, the rote learning environment that I was in, like I was very, I was very lucky to have had a few, few teachers in my life who really believed in me and who gave me the freedom to allow me to, to experiment. And I think I definitely also benefited from,
0: uh, from their teaching, um, teaching pedagogy. Just for the, um, audience's sake, can you, can you just clarify, where did you go to school?
2: Yes, so uh, I, went, uh, I went through the public uh, high school uh, system in Hangzhou, China, and, uh, and also um, the, the middle school, private middle
0: school in Hangzhou. Matt, Xu brought up your book. I think we need to talk a bit more about that book. Sure. So tell us more about why did you write The Art of Education?
1: Well, when I was, when I was reading the art of war and there were a lot of things that Sun Tzu was talking about that I thought was really not just about warfare and, you know, military strategies and stuff, but really about life. And I recall reading about it when I was on the bus and, and I was thinking about my own journey as an educator, and I realized that, you know, many of the things that he says, like knowing yourself, knowing your enemies, or it, of course, in, in, in my case, it would be knowing my students uh, would, be, would be so important. And, and it got me thinking, you know, when I was um, training to be a teacher and, and also many of the in-service courses that, that I had attended, actually at the, the fundamental core um, of the entire education experience between a teacher, an educator, and the student, like that fundamental relationship is is so important. You really need to know yourself um, and you really need to know your your learners as well before you can establish that that relationship. And then you can design lessons that are meaningful, engaging, and and enjoyable for your your learners. In secondary school, we used to learn uh, Chinese idioms. And uh, there was always this particular one that my friends and I would, would often quote and, and kind of uh, joke about because we would use it when, when we were playing soccer and, and it kind of said, like, uh, if you know yourself and you know your, your enemies, then a hundred battles and a hundred victories. And so we would say it when we were playing soccer and we would just laugh about it. And later on, while reading the actual book, I realized that Sun also included knowing the terrain and uh, knowing the heavens, which in, in this sense would kind of be the, the weather patterns, for example, that the general would need to know about. And it got me wondering about the educator. You know, there's a lot of things that the educator also needs to keep in mind. Um, the curriculum, the pedagogy, the assessment, the educational terrain, so to speak, uh, and also the heavens in a sense that what are some of the things that you think would be really beneficial for the children or your students to know uh, after they've graduated? Because the impact that you you have on them is so tremendous. Um, The things that you say to them, the the words that you use, the the tone that you use uh, can really impact them. And and you want them to have a memorable experience. You want them to have um, lessons that they would be able to take with them far beyond that one year that they are with you and, and so that requires you to have some uh, inkling like we don't know the future. We often say that you know we're preparing students for the future but the reality is that nobody knows uh, what the future really uh, is like. Uh, no one could have um, predicted the impact of COVID-19 um, on, the, on the world right now and the, the impact that it is having on not just the education system but so many other systems in our society but you do want the the students to have lessons that they would be able to use, not just for a national examination, but way beyond um, their their, their lives. And the more I read what Sun Tzu was talking about, the more lessons I was, um, it made me, the more lessons that I learned about education itself, about about leadership, about really knowing yourself, about, Ethics and uh, and of course for integrity as well. So so that led me to to just collect lots of stories, uh, both from myself and from my my colleagues who are very generous to share their ideas, and and then I thought I would just put it all together into this uh, simple book.
0: Something that that really struck me is your ability to make these connections, whether it's you know from your memories. Um, as, a, as a child or teenager joking about a Chinese idiom to when you're actually studying education and then also bringing in stories from your colleagues as well. I, I think that's, that's such a remarkable ability to make all these connections. And also that playfulness really comes through. And I'm very much in appreciation of that. That's such a wonderful quality and that playfulness, I think, seems to be a connective tissue from your time as an educator to now becoming an entrepreneur. Can you tell us more about this business that you've started with your father?
1: Sure. So we've just started it this year and we thought that it was really vital for children to learn ways to be better learners, uh, to be able to reflect on their own thinking, their feelings and their uh, their own learning so that they can constantly improve the way that they learn about themselves. And then if we could take it a step further, um, to think about how we can make learning by creating, uh, learning by caring more widespread, because it's one thing to raise the bar for yourself, um, constantly improve your own standards. But it's an entirely different thing to uh, you make sure that you know that makes a difference to, to those around you. Uh, so we're, we're pretty excited uh, to share this common mission uh, with anyone who would be willing to, to listen and to join us on this journey. Uh, and it's a fairly new initiative, but um yeah, we're we're just sharing the load right now and uh excited about this new chapter that we have started together.
0: So you mentioned that this is um something that you're sharing with your father of this mission and i'm just curious about the division of responsibilities can you speak a little more about your specific role
1: yeah so um i i look at more of the teaching and learning bits and uh he tends to look more at the business side of of things um funding and uh You know, recruitment and stuff like that. Uh, Whereas for for myself, I I like to look at the curriculum, how we're teaching, how we're assessing, how we engage the students. Yeah, but it's because it's so new, you know, we are pretty much doing a little bit of everything right now. I think that that would probably be the same for practically every startup where you have your hands in pretty much everything.
0: What are you finding? challenging so far?
1: Well, I think it's being very certain about your, your mission and what it is exactly that you're trying to do. Uh, I love this idea of Ikigai where you try to find your, your passion and to try and find what you're good at. And I think for, for most people, um, that you might be able to, you know, what you like. Um, and then based on what you're able to do in school or in life, you get some feedback as to what you're good at. But then the other two uh, circles would be what the world needs and what the world would pay you for. And if you can find that balance right in the middle, then you would have found that guide, right? That, that really sweet spot where you would be able to to pursue with everything that you've got. And right now, we kind of uh, somewhere in the middle, but it's a a real effort to ensure that your vision and your mission stays focused, um, despite what some other people may say, um, despite uh, certain uh, failures in in, uh, certain things that you're doing, whether it's with regard to to the to, to the funding opportunities or what some people may say are about what is really required in education um and how you should be achieving this particular goal. I think that one of the biggest challenges really is staying focused on that on that core mission and just making baby steps, digging deeper every day and making sure that you're heading towards that that common common vision.
2: I'm curious, Matt, what do you find most rewarding um, from from this experience so far?
1: Wow, I think it's this wonderful uh, opportunity to learn from um, so many different fields. Um, So Learning Playground really hopes to bring experiential learning to the, the center um, learning by creating learning by making and also learning by caring to the foreground so it's very different from my experience in the past 15 years uh, in, in the in the public service so this this allows me a space to be able to speak to people from different industries learn from them how what they are doing what makes uh, them better learners in the things that they are doing uh, how do they you know, uh, get, uh, buy-in from the different stakeholders. How do they make sure that their passion doesn't, uh, dry up? Um, how do they, you know, find that motivation every single day to do what they do? Um, so I think it's really exciting, um, just being out there and, uh, exploring this, this, um, big learning space, right. Uh, just tapping off learning from different people's experiences. Yeah. And and of course, reflecting on the things that work and and they don't work. So, so not everything um, goes well. Sometimes you don't get um, good feedback about certain things that, that uh, you might try out. And then you think to yourself, okay, is this a matter of principle or is this a matter of style? And so do you, do you stick to what you're doing? Do you stand like a rock or, you know, do you go with the flow? And I think those are some judgment calls that are, that are really important. Yeah, but oh, I think overall, I think in the spirit of adventure and learning, this is it's just a great experience
2: for the listeners as they're hearing about Matt's adventure. I'm curious if there is anything that Matt you would like to receive from the listeners. You know, as you, as you are exploring this terrain, as people who will be listening are uh, alumni who are in education. in in a variety of different manners and uh, specialties. Is there any kind of call out that you would like to make?
1: Yeah, I would really be happy um, to be connected to anyone, you know, who is willing to have that conversation about their own learning experiences, especially in structured and unstructured learning environments, like in their own schools or a playground where they grew up in. And the best lessons that they had, um, gotten from these different spaces and to try and tease out and pull out, you know, the, the best of of these experiences and to try and see if we can bring them to more children, more students and learners uh, all around the place so that, you know, we could possibly explore building different kind of learning playgrounds all over the place. Uh, I would be really happy and and excited to have that conversation with anyone who's keen to have it.
0: What is the best way for them to reach you?
1: Oh, on mylearningplayground.com, we have our email right over there. It's yourlearningplayground at gmail.com.
0: That's fantastic. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Jasmine.